This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. There are some things that I admittedly don't know a whole lot about. And part of the joy of running this podcast and getting to bring people onto the show is talking about those things that I don't know a whole lot about. Today's episode is one of those topics, is a conversation with somebody who has known the realities of homelessness and how it affects people and has been on the front lines of helping people get through the hardship of homelessness for years. And I think it's hard to sometimes talk about homelessness or talk about helping people who find themselves, you know, without shelter and clothing and food and and a safe place to be if we've never experienced that ourselves. In fact, it's, it's sometimes much easier for us to just look at somebody who's been affected by homelessness and automatically categorize them as someone who just is repeatedly unlucky or or cruelly, we may think of them as lazy or down on their luck, and they just, you know, they just need to try a little harder. The thing is, and as I learned in conducting this interview and, and getting to know our guest today, homelessness doesn't discriminate. It can affect anybody. It can hurt anyone. It can catch anybody off guard. Circumstances can arise completely and totally out of our control, I think right now many of us have experienced some of those circumstances surrounding this pandemic and and job confusion and fear about the future and, and not knowing what's coming next. The challenge of fighting homelessness isn't so much in just getting people a place to stay. That's not the problem when we help somebody who's been affected by homelessness. The solution isn't just, I'm going to find you a place to lay your head, I'm going to give you some clothes to put on your back, and a warm meal in your belly. It's, it's more so how to use the time that we have with men and women who are affected by homelessness, who are in need of food and shelter and clothing and financial assistance. It's about helping them recognize their own value as they're confronted with such a lack of physical things, which our world has largely told us, is what gives a person value. The stuff you have is what makes you important. And so when you have nothing, and you are alone, and you have no place to go or no place to call your own, there can be a feeling of worthlessness and being unseen and forgotten. Steve Camilleri, our guest today, is somebody who, no question in my mind, sees every single person he meets and encounters and works with as a gift from God and as an opportunity to encounter Christ Jesus in the flesh. We emailed back and forth just a couple of times to get the the schedule down for this conversation and discovered pretty quickly that I knew members of his family who live down here in tiny town like Charles, Louisiana, And the first 20 minutes of our Zoom call, we didn't even talk about the topic. We just visited and caught up like old friends. Even though we just met, we had stuff to catch up about and people to talk about and stories to share and and a shared history. And in that conversation, I had briefly mentioned in an email that I was pregnant. And one of the first things Steve wanted to know, because he knew I had a doctor's appointment earlier that day, which is why we had to push the call to the afternoon, was how the baby was. Why were we naming her Claire? And 
had all these questions about me, a person who was interviewing him for a podcast. I can only imagine how kind and gracious and loving he is to the men and women who come to the Center for the Homeless in South Bend, Indiana, who find themselves maybe feeling worthless and unvalued because they've lost their home, because they, they don't have things to, to eat or to wear or to, to use. But Steve sees them, and Steve has created a center that sees them as God's gift, even if they have nothing. That they are God's children made in his image and likeness, even if they feel like they are not because they've lost everything. Our conversation today reframed homelessness for me. Even just terminology, they're not homeless people, they are people affected by homelessness. And homelessness, again, is not something that picks and chooses the lazy and the weak, but can truly hurt anyone. And so therefore, if it can hurt anyone, anyone can help. And anyone is capable of entering into the hurt and the fear and the the confusion and the uncertainty of a homeless experience can enter into that and love a person to a place of healing, love a person to a place of stability, and serve them and provide for their needs in these trying times. This, of course, uh, is a conversation I was um, thrilled to have with, with Steve, not just because of our shared love of Notre Dame vision, which happens on the University of Notre Dame's campus, but also because of the family that he has that I know, But also I think there was this moment where we both kind of realized, huh, yeah, this is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Use your gifts to help those in need. And it's going to look a little bit differently for every single person, but that's really the gospel mandate. That's what we've been talking about this entire Ave Explorers Faith in Action series. How do we use our gifts? How do we help people? How do we live the corporal and spiritual works of mercy by recognizing what God is uniquely calling us to do? If you've enjoyed those conversations, if you enjoyed today's conversation, I would highly encourage you to go over to the Ave Maria Press website, AveMariaPress.com, and check out all of our Faith in Action series, conversations, articles, videos, podcasts, showcases, challenges, saint biographies, all of this excellent stuff that we've created that is unpacking this idea of putting our faith into action. Right now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with my newly minted good friend, Steve Camilleri, the Executive Director of the Center for the Homeless in South Bend, Indiana. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So my first question is always, if I bumped into you in an elevator and the elevator got stuck pre-COVID, like we could talk to each other, not just like hide in the corners. Uh, what would I learn about you in the, let's say, 10 minutes that we're stuck in that elevator? Who are you? What are you doing? Where are you in the world? Yeah, you know, honestly, the first thing you would know is that I am petrified to be stuck in an elevator. It, <laughs> it, 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 it happened once before. I am not the person you want to be stuck with in the elevator. <laughs> so um, once we get past my my breathing and struggles, you know, I, I'd probably tell you about my family and my kids. Um, I'd tell you about my beautiful wife, Erin. My beautiful daughter, Isabel, who's 15, going to be 16 and driving oh, wow. this summer. And my 14-year-old son, Michael. Um, they, they're the joy and, uh, and everything I love is, is them. So, um, and then I might tell you that, you know, I, I uh, minister over at the Center for the Homeless in South Bend. And I, I love it. I've been there for 15 years. Um, I made my way to South Bend through an undergraduate experience at the University of Notre Dame. And then a couple years down in Louisiana, in Hammond, Louisiana, as a teacher, religion and English. 
And then I came back to the University of Notre Dame. I uh, was in their fundraising department and then um, concurrently director of ministries at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. And then after eight years at the university, came down here to the center. So that would that would be uh, that would maybe be the first salvo in the elevator. And then uh, and then we probably learn a little bit more and go a little deeper if you wanted to. Yeah. Well, let's do that. What drew you to want to work in ministry and not business or economics or engineering? I mean, why ministry? Yeah. You know, I, I was really fortunate to uh, have just an incredible upbringing in, in the Catholic school system. I went to a wonderful school in Hicksville, New York on Long Island, uh, Holy Family School. And so uh, my, the very formative years there. And then I went on to an all-boy Catholic school, Chaminade. And then, of course, a Catholic university, University of Notre Dame. Um, and my graduate degrees are from Catholic universities, from Notre Dame and the University of Portland. So there's always been this draw um, mm-hmm. and, and deep abiding faith to, to Catholicism and uh Christian formation. When I was in high school, I was um, a teacher in this prep program, the Parish Religious Education Program. And I'd say that's where I first started this sort of ministry, if you will, like as Mm -hmm. a a high school student working with younger kids and and teaching them about the Bible and Jesus. It just just excited me. I absolutely loved it. I would end up going to Notre Dame and, uh, and in some ways that would continue. I would be very involved in their Center for Social Concerns, uh, doing things like Urban Plunges, visiting um, homeless facilities in Chicago, nearby Chicago, um, places where I grew up, Bronx. I grew up in Long Island, but visits to Bronx, New York, and Mm -hmm. shelters there. Um, And so it was just sort of like an underpinning. And I, you know, I think it came from my parents. My parents um, were just so accepting of everyone. My mother was a psychiatric attendant at um, a mental health facility in Amityville, Long Island. A lot of people know the Amityville horror. She worked in that community at a place Uh called South Oaks. Um, and my dad was a bartender. And um, so he was on, on the end of um, giving some people drinks. And my mother was trying to get him to stop drinking. And I um, and, uh, just drew, grew up with incredibly loving parents. My two sisters um, just love the heck out of them. Um, and so, yeah, ministry was, was just a part of our lives. Yeah. My grandfather was a bartender. And my dad would often say that bartenders are more therapists than drink pourers. Uh, because you know they so it sounds like you had the the gene to listen kind of embedded and you're Italian so that's just part of it right that's um, right, right love being around people gathering yeah. people talking to people listening to people and and sharing as well and sharing my vulnerabilities and and being with people and gatherings yeah. now I've heard tell that you are the guy that started Notre Dame Vision um, in your time at at Notre yeah. Dame um, so yeah. tell me a little bit about that Oh, gosh, it was a great opportunity. And, and I often point to it as just one of my very favorite experiences to have and having had the opportunity to be part of the genesis of that program, which mm-hmm. which impacted my life. And oh, boy, I, I would hope to attend thousands yeah. of students, both college and high school, and all the ministers have been involved. Um, yeah, so I worked at the university and I was in the fundraising department. And um, an opportunity for a grant um, sort of, if you will, came across my desk to the Lilly Endowment, the incredibly generous Lilly Endowment, mm-hmm. who's down here in Indianapolis, Indiana, two hours south of South Bend. And um, we received that, that gift. So we, we, we get a $50,000 seed grant. And now here we have an opportunity for $2 million to take a theological exploration of vocation, partnered with 88 other universities and colleges across the country. It was just an incredible cohort of colleagues. 
And um, one of the pillars of what was NDVI, the Notre Dame Vocation Initiative, was certainly vision. We had the other pillar was Volcare, which was a retreat for our young alums around the country. And then campus leaders, and that's calling and ministry program for undergraduate student leaders. So faculty and students together. But, but vision was, it was the heart and soul because mm-hmm. it connected high school students with college students, with Notre Dame faculty, all came together on campus. Um, and it was, it was just a, a wonderful experience to be part of the beginning stages. And, uh, and now to have my daughter uh, last summer having participated, it just, it was full circle and it was, it was wonderful. I bet. I, I spoke at it for a couple summers and every time I was on campus, I mean, there's campus, of course, like the, just the beauty and the richness, but then you walk into DBART 101 and there's just this instant like, oh, this is a snapshot of heaven. Like, this is pretty freaking cool. Um, what can happen here? And the friendships that I formed and just being up there a few times a summer. So I can imagine, you know, the lifelong uh, formation that's occurred as a result of that. So thank you for starting it. Um, well, thank you for saying it. But you know what? I got chills when you said because I that room, that one-on-one department, yep. you walk in that room and your hair stands up. Yep. And if you've been in that room, it's like in Hamilton, right? In the room where it happened. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're in the room where it happened. You know what it's like. And anybody who's interested, you got to get in that room. Yeah. It's special. What happens there with those students, with those ministers. And you know what? But But if we go back now, to you know 2000 all the 20 years ago here i gotta tell you we didn't know what the heck we were getting in no. for. like <laughs> we were we were trying to figure it out and my dear friend lenny de lorenzo tells just wonderful stories and he's just a great storyteller an amazing teacher professor um but he'll tell the story of that april before the summer because all the you know he was a college student at the time and they were all gathered and um in the classroom and i came into the classroom and i was like i've got good news and bad news and <laughs> i was like and then, you know, give us the good news. I'm like, all right, well, um, the good news is we got, uh, we've doubled our enrollment for Andy Vision. And, oh, this is awesome. It was like, the bad news is we had two people and now we have four. I mean, in April, <laughs> in, in the April before the summer, we, we hardly had anybody. And then yeah. we, you know, initially we, we, we attract people. And, and then within two months, it took off 250 students show up. And as they say, the rest is history. I've never left more than I have that first summer. And I've never been touched more. And I've never felt the grace mm-hmm. of God more. And, uh, and I think people say that 20 years later, they're still laughing. Oh, for sure. God's blessing them. It's just, it's, it's been a journey. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, it's a, again, just thank you for, thank you for being part of that. Um, I, I think there's something to your story here. And that's, you very much seem to be open to just the movement of the Holy Spirit and putting you where you need to be to do good things. Um, and not so much trying to control those good things, but like letting those good things unfold. And that's led you to uh, working at the Center for the Homeless in South Bend. So tell me kind of how you made that jump from the Basilica on Notre Dame's campus to, uh, you know, a homeless shelter, essentially, and what that looked like and that discernment process. And then, of course, what does the center do? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for being a speaker at Vision <laughs> and, and for having oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, You've had a huge impact on, on so many of those students' lives. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I, I love to sit here and say um, I just have such a deep faith that it's all going to work out. I mean, <laughs> to, to leave Notre Dame, a place that I love um, just so much, so much. I mean, I lived on Notre Dame Avenue, you know, like I was mm-hmm. all about it and I still am. I love it. Um I don't live on Notre Dame, but I love Notre Dame. <laughs> I, you know, 
it, it was a jump that to look back, then it seems so scary. What am I doing? I'm leaving mm -hmm. this place I love. And, um, and I remember a, a dear friend of mine, Father Warner, said, you know, gosh, you know so many people in Notre Dame. And now just think about it. When you go to Summer Homeless, you'll know so many people in South Bend. And now 15 years later, I just love the South Bend community. Um, then it was, it was a leap of faith. But when I, you know, when I think about it, I think, well, this is really a natural fit. And as I've told people, I, I worked in this field and ministered in this field of vocation, but I found my vocation at the Center for the Homeless. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it brought all of my experiences together. Um, I had a, a degree in, in nonprofit administration. I, I shared a little bit about my family background, some things I was involved in, but just to be down here, it, it, it fits, right? Like it's just, I love it. I, I can't imagine myself anywhere else. Um, you know, uh, you could see the, you know, you, you, the gray hair here, we're on zoom. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I've grayed here. Um, and <laughs> I've laughed here. I've cried here. I, I, I love it here. Um, and, and so the center for the homeless, um, for me was a, a natural next step from the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. Um, and, and it was a ministry I felt called to be and so touched by the lives of the guests. And that's what we call the, the folks mm -hmm. who live here, the residents, those people experiencing homelessness, the 200 people who on any given night have an experience of homelessness and are served by the Center for the Homeless and they live here. Um, it's where I'm most comfortable. It's where I'm most comfortable. It's, it's where I'm most comfortable sharing my vulnerabilities and embracing the vulnerabilities of those folks who are courageous enough to share them, to be resilient. They're true survivors. I've learned so much from them. Um, I've learned a lot about hope. I've learned a lot about healing. I've learned a lot about the gospel, uh, living out in, you know, Matthew 25. Um, and so, uh, it, it, it's just a great place to be. And Jesus resides here at the center for the homeless. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So what is the, what does the center do specifically? I mean, it's a shelter, but there's also a component about job placements with veterans. Um, is it, is it a long-term facility or is it a, yeah. a one-stop shop kind of thing where I can come in for the night? What, what, what does it look like? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked, you know, in, in a, in a way it's a little bit of everything you just mm -hmm. said, because we want to be here to meet the needs of those people experiencing homelessness. And for some people, it, it's something that they need just for a week or, or a couple weeks. For other people, we've had people here as long as three years. We mm. want to be able to be there to meet those needs of those folks here as long as they're here. So long as they're, you know, they're working on their plan, they're working with their coach. We have a team of coaches here. Um, you mentioned the Veterans Center. Typically, folks will stay at the Veterans Center three to six months, and then they're able to use a, a VASH, a Veterans Administration Supportive Housing Voucher, and they'd be able to move along. Um, we have folks who, as you mentioned, their job program. Um, we have so many programs. They're all acronyms. I could tell you about <laughs> starting, overstepping, higher, which is SASH, trust, which is our trauma recovery and understanding system transformation, our STAR program, skilled, trained, able, ready, um, fans, fresh attitudes, new success. I can go on. All these programs are meant to meet the needs of where the guest is at. So when I tell you about the home program, that is helping our moms excel. We want to customize our care for every person who walks through the doors of the center from our youngest newborn to our eldest guest who was um, in his 80s a few years ago. Um, we have a clinic on site. We have a classroom, a partnership with the Montessori Academy here in our community on site. Um, of course, three meals a day, showers, bed, all that. Any donated item that you would need, if you come into the center, and many people have, with nothing but the clothes on their back, and sometimes not even with a shirt, we'll, we'll have all of those needs. And, and that's because the community. 
And, and, and now it's beyond the South Bend community. It's the community all over has reached out. We're seeing this now more than ever with coronavirus, reaching out with donations, uh, monetary and otherwise, helping us out with, um, you know, supplies, PPE, um, you know, all the stuff that. Oh, that wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm showing our masks and different things we have. Um, and so we feel just incredibly blessed at the way the community, and I mean the broad community, has reached out to help the folks at the Center for the Homeless. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Steve about the Center for the Homeless in South Bend, Indiana, as well as this overarching conversation about how we can help those in need. If you're curious about how you can get involved and engaged and perhaps put your own faith into action, I'd ask that you click on over to the Ave Maria Press website. We have a link down in the show notes, and you can check out our entire Faith in Action series, all three weeks of it thus far, content that includes articles, videos, podcasts, challenges, showcase pieces on ministries throughout the country, saint biographies, and even an awesome giveaway that includes some fair trade coffee, a cute pillow that lots of people are commenting about on Facebook, and more. So please click on over to AveMariaPress.com and get involved with the Ave Explorers Faith in Action series now. You know, I'm struck by a lot of times I think, well, I know in my experience, when I think of a homeless shelter, I think of like a place that somebody comes um, and then during the day they go off and they're begging on the streets or they're searching for a job because there's this stigma that surrounds it. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you said you mentioned the coaches. When people come to the Center for the Homeless, down on their luck, out of sorts, um, unsure of the future, there's probably a lot of fear and there's probably a lot of um, I don't want to say shame, but maybe there is some shame in that because there's this almost this American ideal of like, well, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just work a little harder. But someone that has fallen into homelessness, a lot of times it's circumstances that they were that were out of their control. What's the first thing you do with somebody that shows up? Like, how do you initially love them? Yeah, well, first of all, they they shouldn't feel shame. Mm -hmm. But we do. We do have a class on guilt and shame. Um, I love that you said, how do you love them when they show up? Because that's what I was thinking. It's, it's all in the, the invitation. Um, it's an invitation. It's, it's being welcoming. It's being hospitable. When someone comes through the doors of the center, one of the very first questions we ask is what your name is. We want to be able to call you by name. And then we know your name. We ask, how are you doing? What is it that you need? Um, you know, when, when we talk about trauma, the question um, to ask is not, it's, it's not what's wrong with you. It's, it's what happened. And so we want to know what happened. Where have you been? Um, what have you been up to? How can we help you through this time? We want to really make people feel safe. I personally have not had an experience with homelessness, so I can't imagine what it would be like. I only know from listening to our friends who've had that experience. But um, what we do know is sometimes you might not have felt safe on the street. Um, you might have been in a dangerous situations. So the minute you walk through the front doors at the center, you need to feel safe. You need to start to get that sense of safety. Sometimes these base, you know, these basic needs have to be there. And then you start to build the hope. Um, and when someone calls you by name, asks your story, talks to you, or I should say listens to you, um, that's where it has to start. And, and that's what the coaches do and our incredible coaches and front desk team. They're there to listen in. Um, and they, um, you know, they must establish a, a relationship that's built in trust. Mm-hmm. And, and then once you can do that, you, you start to see that change can happen. Transformation can happen because 
there's this mutual relationship that that's built on trust. And I, I think that's where we really need to start. I say that the guests at the center, um, like us all, we've all experienced brokenness and disconnectedness. The guest at the centers, someone experienced homelessness, it might just be more profound than mine is. Um, I might have had a support net that they might not have. But mm-hmm. if we say all the things that bring someone into homelessness, the, can, the, the, the um, common denominator is profound disconnectedness. The way you heal disconnectedness is to reconnect. And the way you reconnect is through relationships. So mm-hmm. Everything that we do is grounded in relationships, um, and uh, and those relationships take time, you know. Mm-hmm. And and as I mentioned, even the folks who've been here three years, you know, you got to keep that relationship going with the coach and and advocates in the community and through volunteers and donors and staff um, and guest to guest. Um, you know, we're all learning from each other in this process. Yeah, I love that. That it's not you know a there's not a form that you make somebody fill out and then you just look at it and say, okay, well, these are the 10 services we're going to provide. It's, it's tailored, right? Yeah. Cause every person's experience is different. How is that? And, and this is something that I find in all of the guests that I've talked to a sister of life, uh, 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 Dr. Scott Hahn. I mean, at the, the, across the board, how's that affected you? I mean, as a dad, as a husband, as somebody who's worked in ministry, there's, there's something that begins to happen to the person involved in the front lines of working with, the marginalized and the oppressed and the hurting. How, how has it affected you? Well, let me, let me tell you this. When, so imagine I started the center in August of 2004. My daughter is born, born on July 4th of 2004. <laughs> so you weren't sleeping. <laughs> so, so I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, what I say is like, I didn't know how to run a homeless facility. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to be a father. But what I knew was you got to love your daughter. And you got to love the guests at the center. Mm-hmm. And now I joke 15 years later, I have a 15-year-old daughter. And I've been in the center 15. And I, tell you, I still don't know if I know how to be a <laughs> 15-year-old. And I still don't know if I know how to run the center homes. But I still know how to love. Um, or at least I, I hope I do. I hope I show love. I, I, I feel I've been loved back for sure. I just hope I've shown that love to the guests. So, so that... Is, is, you know, first and foremost in my mind when you bring that up is um, mm-hmm. how has it changed me? It's just um, the, the deep love for everyone. And I, I you know, I, I said this to someone just the other day. I said, you know, I've, in, in powerful ways, even now more than ever with coronavirus, I just realized we are so much more alike than we are different. And, and just so many people have had everything taken away from them. I mean, we go back to those early weeks of March, mm-hmm. just like that, everything taken away. And we're, we're going to see new people coming into an experience of homelessness. Um, homelessness doesn't discriminate. Um, and and I, I've just, I've seen so many incredible people, people who are, um, you know, we have a PhD now. Someone who's a PhD is here. We've, we've had every walk of life at the Center for the Homeless that you can imagine um, at the center of homeless. So that tells me homelessness, as I said, doesn't discriminate. And mm-hmm. it tells me that we are no different than anybody who's had an experience with homelessness. I was incredibly touched five years ago when the Pope and in, in his visit to America and he visited DC, he, he spent time with people experiencing mm-hmm. homelessness. He wanted to be with them. He didn't want the big fancy lunch. He wanted to be with them and he broke bread with them at St. Patrick's church. And he talked about Joseph 
And he talked about Mary and he talked about Jesus being born into homelessness. Mm -hmm. And he talked about the injustice of homelessness. So I've been ever more aware of housing inequities, disparity of wealth, uh, a just wage, uh, mental health, um, just all, all the social inequities that exist. And I'm hopeful though, because I've, I've seen individuals have transformations in their lives. So it, it's going to take a long time mm -hmm. to end the cycle of homelessness writ large, but I, I see it happening on individual after individual after individual breaking the cycle of homelessness. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that then. Like on a systemic level, we often hear these incredible stories of places that are working to do this, but you know, I, I'm a mom. I live in a, a fairly nice part of town. I have a house. There's not a lot. I, I'm not confronted by homelessness in rural America that I'm in. Um, unless I go visit a big city. My sister's in Washington, D.C. She lives across the street from the Basilica of the National Shrine. And if she just walks three blocks, she sees, you know, a tent town underneath a bridge. Yeah. How, how, do we, how do we start to maybe solve some of these equity problems or even try to be helpful besides just passing out a gift card to somebody that we see on the street or giving them the number of a, of a shelter? Yeah, you know, when you said that, that image of your sister walking three blocks, like what conjured in my mind, that is the image of her, of the ability to see Jesus in the faces of so many people. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And this is, this is what we're called to do. And I think people need to respond with their gifts as they see a fit. So if someone's gift is to sit with that person who's experiencing homelessness and talk to them and have a ministry of presence, mm -hmm. then I would encourage them to do that so long as they would feel it's a safe thing to do and they feel comfortable, right? You know, mm -hmm. obviously there, there's talk sometimes of like going out of your comfort zone, but don't go out of your safety zone. But mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to be present in ministry of listening and being there. For some people, as you just said, it might be that gift card. Um, you know, when I've been asked and, you know, um, in, in different cities I visit at, uh, you know, can I, manage, I, I have those gift cards ready. But then I like to see if I could join them for the meal. And I've had an occasion to do that, certainly here in town, but mm -hmm. in, in other cities, like, you know, Chicago most recently. Because, um, I mean, at our deepest core, we are relational beings. Mm -hmm. And so the person on the street who, who has a sign or um, is under the tent, th they have a story. And maybe someone hasn't heard their story in a long time. I've got to tell you, I'm incredibly touched um, for our viewers, this will have happened um, on the, the last week of May on America's Got Talent. There was a group, they got the golden buzzer. They are the, the it's just an incredible group. Voices of City Choir out of San Diego, and I might have the name wrong, but they are a group compiled of people experiencing homelessness. And their gift is so powerful. And, and this music has given them a voice. And so... That's what we need to do. We need to look at our friends experiencing homelessness and see the gift that they bring and the mm -hmm. talent that they bring um, and, and lift that up. And then collectively resourced people, and, and I would consider myself a resource person, um, we have to use our resources to help those in need. And our resources, not just financial resources, our voice, our, our, our brains, we got to write letters, we got to reach out to politicians. We got to mm -hmm. change legislation. We got to change wages. Um, we got to change eviction. So, you know, we're fighting here in our state for things like that. 
and working with other great organizations. And everybody has to do that in their communities to help rid homelessness. Yeah. I, I love the way that you're, you're saying people who have encountered or been affected by homelessness, not the homeless, because that's, I think sometimes what happens is we begin to label people just like you label somebody bipolar. No, they're struggling with bipolar disorder. That's not all that defines them. Um, it's seeing people and that's what Christ commands of us to do. Um, I'm, I'm curious then how, I mean, the center for the homeless is a secular organization. Um, but how does your faith really influence this work? I mean, where you, it's obvious, like Christ is clearly compelling you. Oh, absolutely. And, y- you know, you're right. We are a secular organization, but I would say spirituality runs so deeply mm-hmm. through the veins of the Center for the Homeless. Um, you know, I've had a fortunate opportunity to facilitate a class called Letting Go. And in that class, um, I talk about Peter and I talk about Judas. And I talk about Judas' response to betrayal was to hang himself. And as we know, Peter's response was to weep. And I talked to our guests about like, you know, we can hang ourselves inch by inch with remorse and looking at the past and thinking of the things we've done. And maybe it's either what brought me into homelessness or how did I end up here? Or we could look like Peter and we could take that moment and we can weep. And then we could build just like Jesus built the church on Peter. They could build incredibly transformative lives from their experiences here at, at the center. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a, a, a spiritual story as we talk about it. And, you know, the guests give me permission and others permission to talk about our faith. Mm-hmm. And they openly talk about their faith. And we gather every Monday night with the residents. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do it in, in two months. But, um, oh, boy, we bring in choirs. We have our guests sing their spirituality. People feel blessed. Um, and so it, 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 is, it is felt deeply at the center. And for me personally, um, it's just, like I, I said earlier, it's, I, I feel called to be here. I feel like it's a place I've been fortunate to live out the gospel. Um, every day is not easy. Um, there's some days I fail miserably. Um, I make huge mistakes. Um, I wish I said things I haven't said and, and all of that sort as well. But, um, you know, like the, I think in terms of the Eucharist and, and Henry Nouwen, who writes about the Eucharist being blessed, broken, um, you know, taken, blessed, broken, and given. And um, that's been the story at the Center for the Homeless. Uh, these people who've been broken are able to give their lives. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's just been wonderful. Where can we find out more about the Center, Steve? How can we give? Yeah. Sure. Well, um, give prayers, please. We need prayers, not just here at the Center. Everybody needs prayers now. We're praying for each other in so many different ways. Our, our website's basic. It's CFH for Center for Homeless, CFH.net. Um, so some people might want to check out our website, um, you know, our, our go to Center for the Homeless. You know, we have a Facebook page. Um, and uh, yeah, but, you know, and, and it would be great if people reach out and help us. We would mm-hmm. love it. But also reach out in your own community because yeah. there there might be people having experience with homelessness in, in your own communities. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I always ask the same question here at the end. Um, I'm a person who's listened to this. I feel compelled. I want to help. I go find your website, but then I find myself at home thinking, well, I want to do more for the social justice mission of the church. What's your recommendation for, for people to really start doing that? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, I had a wonderful call this week. Um, two students, one was a rising, um, junior at Notre Dame and her brother was a rising junior in high school. So, they were making masks uh, 
they live in Indianapolis and they were bringing up masks that they, I thought they just got masks and they were going to donate, you know, these paper masks. Yeah. They, and, I, and I said, Oh my God, you guys must know how to sew. And they didn't know how to sew. They felt it on their heart that this is something they wanted to do and they wanted to use their time wisely. Um, you know, we are called to use the time we have to do all we can with that time to make the biggest difference we can. And so I, I keep coming back to gift. I mean, when we talked about vision, we talk about vocation, we're talking about the gifts that we have, the slogan of vision of saints, their gifts change the world. How will yours? So know what your gifts are. And if you don't ask the people around you who love you, they will freely tell you, <laughs> know what your gifts are and then see how you can use those gifts to help those people around you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's how we have transformative change is by using our gifts and then in turn telling those around us what their gifts are. So when you see these people experiencing homelessness, and again, I've come to know them here in our community, so I know what their gifts are so I can encourage their gifts, but, but we must continue to, to affirm and encourage those gifts. And that's beautiful. I think that's the title of the episode. So, so that was perfect. Thank you so much, Steve, for your time. Um, and I'm sure folks will check out all of the great work that you're doing. Well, thank you. And, and say hello to all my friends down in Louisiana. I will, for sure. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious how joy-filled Steve is for this work and how passionate he is about helping people who need help, but also empowering every single person he meets, those of you listening even, to use their gifts to respond to the person that is right in front of them and to love them into a place of healing and hope and dare I even say happiness. If you were to click on over to the Center for the Homeless Facebook page, we have the link down in the show notes. There are some incredible pictures of the gatherings and the community that has, has clearly been formed there and the services that this center provides the Center for the Homeless is a pillar in the South Bend, Indiana community, as, as well as in that entire area of the country, and rightly so, because it's a place that has become home, a place that has offered shelter physically, but also shelter from the storms of, of fear and doubt and confusion and, and worthlessness. Perhaps that's really what it means to put our faith into action. We don't just write a check. We don't just stock cans on a shelf. We don't just give somebody a bed and a new piece of clothing. We, we give them time, attention, and love. All of our episodes have talked about this. Sister Josephine Garrett and Father Josh Johnson talked about loving people into an understanding of inequality. Chris Frank talked about helping young men and women who are struggling in the inner city find hope. Sister Anu's Day, loving women who find themselves in crisis pregnancies. We have two more episodes coming this season that will continue to unpack that. And I hope that you will rate and subscribe this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, so that you don't miss those upcoming episodes and so that this content can continue to reach other people. We are so close to 50,000 downloads. We are hoping to hit 100 reviews soon. We hope that you'll help us out with that. Please click on over to AveMariaPress.com to find out more information about our current ongoing Ave Explorers Faith in Action series, including how to get uh, linked up to, to win a giveaway basket with all sorts of really awesome stuff, fair trade coffee, some really cool art, and a neat pillow that lots of people are commenting about on Facebook, as well as to see all the content that we've created, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, the Saint Showcase bios, the challenges, all sorts of really interesting stuff that we've created with our contributors, as well as all the links to our new Ave Explores Live, a social media show that we are conducting on Tuesday evenings at 7 o'clock Central Time. 
We hope you'll find all of that over at AveMariaPress.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.